thinking about that like just a situation like that on the show like a slap caused the entire internet to go nuts like just because it's such a broadcasted event i think one of us would have to get shot in order to oh, yeah. <laughs> someone would live <laughs> recording of podcast so it's getting shot, shot. <laughs> keep john white's name out of your mouth. oh man the long lost descendant of John White is just gonna come for us one of these days. We get like point three percent of the coverage that the Will Smith slap got. Hey, it's and worth one it of though. us just gets shot right in, <laughs> just right in the head instead of two like relatively irrelevant celebrities getting into a spat on live TV. It's yeah. just two like very irrelevant <laughs> podcast hosts. <laughs> Not even in a studio. Like there's a dartboard in the in a basement. <laughs> Oh. Well, hello everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Gems of History podcast. It's been a it's been a wild time in the world this week, mostly just because of one singular event that somehow overshadowed a war in uh Ukraine and Russia, but oh, Ukrainians are probably livid. They're checking their phones like, "Oh, I wonder if you know, cuz like President Biden was in Poland and like gave a speech yeah. not too long ago about the whole situation." Completely overshadowed by Will Smith slapping Chris Rock on stage. <laughs> Completely overshadowed. It, yeah. And now all these people are just like, violence is not the answer. It's like, okay, well, you could have said that like three weeks ago when there was a little literal invasion of a different country. Yeah. Like three weeks ago, I looked up what the age was, like the age limit to get drafted. <laughs> like, you see, no bullshit. Like for real. And it was just, it's one of those things where it's an event that's so broadcast that it's actually become a thing where it's like split opinions yeah. from everyone. Like it's, like it's, I saw hashtags being like, I stand with Chris Rock. It's like, I think he'll what? survive. I think he'll be fine. Yeah. And people being sad for Will Smith, like the Smiths are fine. I, I did not even know the Oscars were happening until this event happened. Right. So. I logged on to Twitter at 1130. And it's like highlights of the of the Oscars. My friend messaged me and was like, "What do you guys think of the the Chris or the Chris Rock?" You want to say Chris Brown? Yeah, so I bad. almost said Chris Brown. You just hear violence and immediately <laughs> go Chris Brown. But they messaged me at like six thirty uh, yesterday morning. And I was like, "What? What is that?" And I was like, "Is that some sort of like new dance craze for the Fresh Prince of Bel Air song?" Or like, "What? Ooh. What are we talking about here?" And then he sent me the video. I'm like, "Oh." Okay, I didn't know that was the Oscars were even like happening, but anyways, another, another guy who won a lot of awards, maybe not completely through his merit in acting, but he got him anyways. This this guy we're talking about today. It's a guy named Nero. You may may have heard of him. He was kind of a big deal in Rome back in the day. Kind of set the trends, you know. The head honcho, if you will. The 16-year-old phenom. The phenom is a he. Hey, he definitely was a trendsetter. That's he, for sure. He was indeed. And now there's a lot of stuff coming out saying maybe he wasn't as bad as history likes to say he is. Because obviously, the sources on him are pretty limited. I mean, mm-hmm. we have maybe three or four surviving ancient texts on him, and most of them were written after he died. So, and not like 
right after he died, mostly like hundreds of years after. So mm-hmm. we don't really have any contemporary sources from when he was actually alive. Those have all been lost. So yeah, there's there's a lot of cool information about Nero. And then also some of the stuff that he did does deserve the, the credit that he got for it. So mm-hmm. One of the more interesting and extremely excited to kind of dive into who he was in history, but a really interesting man. Just we're going to go through his... A little bit of his family lineage, just how his psyche got to where it was, yeah. how he rose to power, um, and at the end of his life, like, just very interesting, kind of how it all came down, and one of those characters where you immediately, like, throughout our entire education, because uh, Jake and I went to the same schools, we were taught, like, Nero, bad guy, yeah, evil dude. Was very bad to Christians, not to get ahead of ourselves. I mean, we yeah, we did go to a Christian school for 14 years <laughs> yeah. of our lives. So, I mean, we kind of had one perspective on him. I'm pretty sure one teacher even had the take that this guy was the Antichrist, if oh, I'm yeah. not mistaken. There's a lot of historians that have had that take throughout the years. So. Right, so very interesting character and really excited to dive into this episode. Yeah, so uh, I tasked Evan with doing some of the more like background information because the figures that precede Nero are just as important to his life as himself. So there's a lot of influence that he garners from his mother specifically. So we're going to talk a lot about what she kind of did in the years prior to having Nero that kind of set her up to put Nero in the position that he got to. So there's a lot of wild ter- twists and turns in the story before Nero even enters the picture. Yeah, definitely one thing to realize before we even dive into the whole family lineage and the story, that Rome at this time wasn't the, I guess I'll just say like the badass conquered the entire world Rome, like the Julius Caesar. Um, your Mark Anthony type Rome, those days were past. And at this point in Roman history, it was a lot about what you did in court, meaning like the political court, the royal court. And imagine Game of Thrones type deal, ever, like King's Landing. Um, that's just my go-to whenever people, whenever we're talking about politics. It's just a lot of backstabbing, a lot of plotting, a lot of building alliances, a lot of who knows who type deal. Uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, unfortunately, it did lead to the collapse of the you know Roman Empire eventually. Yeah. But and Nero was towards the tail end of that. So yeah, he kind of caught the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he th- that's part of the reason why history has taken such a harsh twist on him, uh, at least in the opinion of more modern scholars in this type of history, because he was towards the end, and people were trying to influence or like put in the new regime, so to say. So trying to get rid of the stigma that the old regime that had ruled for hundreds of years put in place, it's kind of a big, important part of it. But anyways, Evan? Very much so. So where did we land? take us away. Where did we land on the pronunciation of this lovely girl's name? I believe we decided it is Agrippina. Agrippina. We, we literally, the first time, both of us looked up <laughs> how to pronounce this name and got four different pronunciations. So we're going with the one that we heard the most. <laughs> Very wild. It's been almost 60 episodes and it hasn't happened. Usually I just butcher them because I'm dumb. But <laughs> <laughs> We're going with Agrippina. Agrippina, Agrippina, Agrippina. Or one of the, if it's one of those things like Beetlejuice three times she just shows up. <laughs> well, there's two of them, so it depends which one we get. <laughs> right, yeah. Fingers crossed on the elder. <laughs> so Agrippina the Younger, so basically Nero's mom, 
uh, was born on November 6th, 15 CE or AD, depending on who you ask, in modern-day Germany. Her parents, which are extremely influential and important to the story, were Germanicus, the nephew of the ruling Roman Emperor Tiberius, and Agrippina the Elder, so the mom, the elder, uh, and the younger, so Nero's mom. Um, same name, but yeah. Still Instead confusing. of junior and senior, it was just the the elder and the younger. Yep, they just didn't have a, that many girl names, apparently. I guess. And I mean, the whole of Latin. All, all of the guys are pretty much some spinoff of like Augustus or something like that. So. Honestly, yeah. And Agrippina the elder was the daughter of Marcus Agrippa and Augustus's daughter Julia. And it's important to note. So this is the first note that I'll make with just the whole Roman Roman lineage when Germanicus and Agrippina the Elder got married, they basically became like Rome's super couple, if you will. Like the source that I looked at, it was ancientorigins.net. They broke it down to this is basically equivalent to today's biggest celebrity couple, whoever you want to even call that at this point. Germanicus was insanely popular amongst yes. the people and amongst the army, which is important. Right. Everyone loved this man. Um, he was called a PR mastermind, and he was also a brilliant military commander. Yeah. I mean, he spent a majority of his life on the outskirts of Rome, basically expanding all the territories and conquering lands. And for that, his uh, uh, bah, 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 descendants <laughs> uh, actually like benefited the fruits of his labor, um, even though he didn't really get to see too many of them himself. Granny was still very rich, but still. So basically, Agrippina the Younger was born to this super couple. Yeah, and we're going to throw a lot of names at you, so don't feel bad if you forget the names. Just remember, like, Germanicus and Agrippina are going to be two of the bigger names that come up in this whole saga. So, mm -hmm. so Agrippina the Younger, so again, the daughter of Agrippina and Germanicus, spent her early life in Rome while her parents were in the provinces, again, touring and conquering more lands and expanding the empire. However, Germanicus eventually did die in Antioch, or excuse me, in present-day Antioch, in 19 CE, so when Agrippina the Younger was four years old. Some speculate that he died due to illness, but others actually suspect that the reclusive emperor at the time, so Emperor Tiberius, was actually behind his death, uh, just because Germanicus was gaining so much traction, so much popularity uh, that Tiberius, who was very skittish, I guess you could say, kind of assassinated him. But that's all, again, hearsay. And I kind of noticed in the research, a lot of the deaths that appear in the story, everyone's like, it probably was an assassination, but at the same time, it could have just been like he got sick. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much going to be a trend throughout this entire episode mm -hmm. <laughs> is maybe they got killed by someone else. Or they just died. <laughs> or maybe they just died of natural causes. I mean, causes. It's, he was on the front lines of war for a while, so maybe he just got killed or died. Right. But... He probably caught a disease or two. Yeah. Uh, after his death, uh, Agrippina the Elder started immediately advocating the rights of her family. And while at first she kind of was just more of a, a nuisance to Tiberius. So Tiberius, like I mentioned, was the at the time the emperor uh, the prefect of the Praetorian Guard, Seginus, recognized Agrippina the Elder as a danger 
to Tiberius's influence, again, due to their popularity and the fact that the courts, the royal court, and the people absolutely loved this couple. And uh, the prefect of the Praetorian Guard just means, like, the one in charge. Right. He's, right, right. he's just, like, the boss of the Praetorian Guard. To put it in today's standard, or today's terms, head of the Secret Service. Yeah. I guess. Um, so, eventually, the Asegenus, who, again, be mentioned, head of the Praetorian Guard, uh, turns the Emperor Tiberius against Agrippina the Elder, and essentially got Agrippina the Elder and her and Germanicus's two or two eldest male children exiled and imprisoned, and later they would all die by 33 CE. However, during the actual imprisonment, uh, Agrippina the Younger got married off to one Gnaeus Gnaeus Domitius Ahenobarbus. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. We got there. I can't believe we were debating about Agrippina, and I said to read that. (laughs) I forgot that his dad's name is a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) But she got married in 28 CE, so she was 13 when she was married off uh, to this to this very, very old man. Um, he came, uh, we're just going to call him Naeus because I don't want to uh, butcher another name. Uh, he came from a very prestigious family. Uh, they were linked to Augustus through Domitius's, so his mother. Uh, so there was still a direct line to potentially become emperor, but was, and correct me if I'm wrong, a little, little buried yeah. uh, at this point. And the 13-year-old Agrippina basically had to deal with this very old, um, from some accounts, very violent and, you know, very drunken. Uh, you probably know where I'm going with this. Not, not a great dude. Not good. Especially not to his uh, 13-year-old wife. Um, and at this point, uh, or excuse me, this, when she did get married, was her entrance back into, you know, the royal game, you could say. And this is a huge turning point, I think, for her. Yeah. Because at this point, both of her parents have been sent off, along with some of her siblings, basically for political spite. Mm-hmm. And she's now looking at it as, I need to figure out how to get into power. And I, a lot of people portray her as like a power-hungry, crazy woman, mm-hmm. which could be partially true. I don't know. But I think a lot of it, too, is just like, I need to get into a position of power where I will, where that can't happen to me. Right. Because the whole, this whole time, political higher-ups are just going for each other's throats. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I mean, this was definitely a scarring thing. I would say being third, well, at the time, being four, your dad died. And then a couple years later, you're, the rest of your family is shipped off and eventually they die. And then you're 13, and you marry this creepy old... Ugh. Yeah, and family is not going to be good to her in the coming years either, so... She just loves... It. She props her, loves her family, but yeah. they do not love her back. No, they do not. <laughs> so at this point, Agrippina and Naeus are married, and they, as Evan said, did not have the most healthy relationship for par, per most sources. Uh, he was said to be... of pretty bad drunk and a couple of the things that i saw mm-hmm. said that he may have killed an ex-slave during a drinking binge uh he gouged out a fellow senator's eye 
and deliberately killed a young boy in a fit of road rage. So Ran him over with a chariot. Yeah, this guy is not really on a hot streak right now. But in the year 37 AD, on December 15th, him and Agrippina the Younger had their first and only child, who at the time was named Lucius Dumidius Ahinobarbus. That's just a spell out of Harry Potter. I don't care what you <laughs> yeah. say. And that was the original name for who would come to be known as Nero. So we're going to call him Nero for the rest of the episode. Yes. <laughs> so Nero's mother was the main influential factor in his life, not really his father. And this was going to be throughout almost the entirety of his reign as emperor that she would be influential and we'll see once she's out of the picture that that's where things kind of take a, a hard right turn mm-hmm. but it kind of took her a while to even be able to leave an impression on her son because when Caligula took over for Tiberius in the year 37 AD the same year that Nero was born he immediately became suspicious of almost everybody in political power at that point because he was kind of flipping the way Rome was run on its head. And he kind of just took everything that they knew up to that point from Augustus through the line of Julio-Claudian emperors to this point and said, I don't want to rule that way. I want it to be way different. So he chose to extend out his hand to the Roman populace, the people, versus giving a lot of powers to the Senate and kind of keeping everything behind closed doors. So this really put a bunch of roadblocks in his path because there was a lot of people that were not happy with that decision. So this made him become quite radical and ruthless pretty quickly. And it is important to say here that Caligula was actually Agrippina's brother. Yes. which made him Nero's uncle. Yep. So this is all family connections for Agrippina once again. What a glow up for that family. For yeah, honestly, <laughs> yeah. They were down bad for a while, but... Yeah, once Tiberius <laughs> was out of the picture, he was like, my time to shine. <laughs> Be back. <laughs> and for Agrippina, this should have been like, hell yeah, let's do this. Very much was not the case. Right, like, dap up your bro. Like, let's get this going. Yeah, so... In an effort to suss out enemies in the courts, he sent away his own sister, which was also Nero's mother, Agrippina, and so she was exiled in his Nero's second year of life, so he just kind of got left with his, from most sources, ag- abusive and alcoholic father. <laughs> yeah. That is a very tough uh, childhood. Yes. So you can kind of see, like, from a psychological vantage point... What's going on in Agrippina's head? Because she just got bounced from Rome again. And in Nero's head, uh, yeah, he's just stuck alone with this asshole of a, fa- of a father. And it's through psychology, we've found nowadays that the physical touch of your mom in those beginning stages of your life is so important right. for a, like a growing baby. So the fact that his mother got sent away when he was so young, I mean, he was two, so it's not like he was still an infant. Mm -hmm. So he probably did get attention from her in the really early stages. But even so, like not having her around for a couple of years in the formative years of your life, it's pretty important. One would say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Important to have moms around. Yeah. So he wasn't really raised by his father all that much because when he was around three, his father was going to go 
and die. Mm-hmm. So now both of his parents are out of the picture, and he is left with pretty much just household attendants to raise him. They're slaves. It was like a cook, a dancer that took him in and decided to raise him. But luckily for Nero, Caligula was assassinated in 41 AD when he was around four. And this meant that the ruling party that was responsible for his mother being sent away was now out of the picture. And if you don't know, we maybe we'll come back and do an, a whole episode on Caligula himself because he is also known as one of the most infamous characters during this time period. And you may know the term Caligula's horse, which is the story of him appointing his horse to the Senate because he could. <laughs> and it, 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 it's a true story, apparently. It actually happened. But he was deposed in 41 AD and... Uh, he was succeeded by his uncle, whose name was Claudius. So Agrippina was brought back to Rome at this point, and now with Claudius in rule, it was said that he was not much better than Caligula as far as being a good man and tortured people in his secret chambers in front of him, and he kind of just played dumb the whole time to the public kind of because he did have poor health and had some, like, st- I think he had a stutter and some pack issues and stuff. So he was he played the part of the frail old man who didn't know any better. Right, that was his approach to dealing with the PR side of things Yeah, uh, with Roman politics. But, fun fact, kids, Caligula's horse is actually the name of a Australian progressive metal band. It is, indeed. Absolutely. They're pretty good. <laughs> of course you know. <laughs> <laughs> I fun. do. I, thought I was going to mention it, but I, did, I was like, ah, maybe like three people will know that. So. Well, now people know. Good band. Go Watch, check them out. They'll just get a spike of... Seven more Spotify listeners. Seven to ten more listeners. Yep. (laughs) So with now with Agrippina now being back in the fold, she was ready to really push to get political power back in her own hands. And she used the one tool that she had in her disposal, which was her son Nero. So she came back and Nero was around four or five. And at this point she was in a spat with another woman to try and win the throne because they were both gunning for their son to be the next one to take power after Claudius was out of the picture. And the woman opposing Agrippina was named Messalina. So at this point, the seven-year-old Nero is put in the middle of a power struggle between two mothers that he is not privy to. And this turns almost into an assassination on his life. So In 44 AD, it was said that Messalina sent two assassins to kill the young Nero while he slept, but the story tells that as the assassins pulled back the sheets to slay the young Nero, a snake slithered out and scared off the two would-be killers. Which, these have to be the worst assassins in the world if they're scared of a snake. (laughs) (laughs) For real, right? Like, they were just, they were there to kill an infant, basically. Yeah. I guess, like, a seven-year-old, whatever. But... Then just two little snakes just scare him I'm off. A snake. I'm a snake. It's literally was just that guy. <laughs> he was protecting Nero. He's immortal. He is all. He's a snake. So this story is it's a fun and colorful one, but according to most scholars and historians, it's most likely not how it actually happened, and it's just a colorful folk tale to kind of prop up Nero a little more. But there is evidence that they used this story, this failed assassination attempt, as propaganda to get people on their side because Agrippina actually made a bracelet for Nero that had snakes on it 
that mm-hmm. kind of signified this event in history. But after this, Messalina started an affair, and that was the new talk of Rome. So Agrippina made sure that that news was on the forefront of everyone's tongues, and Messalina was forced to take her own life because of the destruction of her public reputation. Yeah, and you may be thinking to yourself, that's a, that's a little extreme, but your reputation was everything, and with that tarnished, she was about to lose all of her, like, her entire life. Yeah. And subsequently, she, she did. <laughs> and especially if she's trying to get her own son into power, now all of those aspirations go down the drain as well. So everything that she's been working for for probably the past two to five years to get in a position where her son will be the next to the throne... That's all gone. Right. Getting canceled back in these times was basically equivalent to like a death sentence. Yes. So this gave Nero, Nero's mother free passage to marry Claudius, her own uncle, in 49 AD. Yep. Kept in the family. <laughs> uh, very much so. And it was at this point when the young man known as Lucius Domitius Hinobarbus gained his new name, Nero and was officially adopted by Claudius. Yeah, it's very interesting. The Senate, because this, like, marrying your uncle was illegal at the time, but the Senate had to create a special decree to actually make this legal, to actually make people be like, all right, fine, this is, this is okay. <laughs> well, by this point, Agrippina's now the empress of Rome, so she's right. like, I can t- just change that law real quick. <laughs> yeah, let me just scribble that one out, but... It's very interesting, just again from my source, uh, history. Oh my goodness, I'm a dork. Ancientorigins.net. Sorry about that. Basically, Agrippina achieved this dominant position for her son and herself through, like I mentioned before, a very thick web of political alliances. And this included, these were just kind of some of the major people that she was able to align herself with, but. And it included Claudius's chief secretary and bookkeeper, so the guy that was in charge of all the money, uh, his name was Payless. Uh, Claudius's Payless, doc- Payless, yeah. <laughs> um, Claudius's doctor Xenophon. Very ironic that the doctor was uh, under the wife's control. And then finally, Afranius Burrus, the head of the Praetorian Guard. Which is going to be vital in her takeover of Rome. Quite vital. And just with the modern historians, like their takes on this, they have doubted that Agrippina like, had her eye on securing the throne for herself. But again, it was just like solely for her son to one day get, like, meaning she was a very powerful woman for this time, but she still couldn't, you know take the throne herself had to do it first yeah rome still had very much strict policy on no woman allowed in a political office Mm -hmm. so she had to secure her position through her only male offspring so so once she took office it was at this point that she decided that nero needed a wife because if they were going to really establish a a line of power through nero he needed to himself have political connections to through a marriage and his mother really kept it in the family because she decided that nero should marry his own stepsister octavia steps never mind (laughs) we're not going down oh everyone's already thought it don't worry (laughs) everyone said those words in their head just now so 
Agrippina knew that whoever she chose for her son's new bride really did need to have her own connections and it needed to be a political power move. So she needed someone who was influential in the empire and who's better than the son or the daughter of the current emperor. Right. So Octavia and Nero were then married. And once again, Agrippina had to just skirt around that incest law to make sure that this was allowed. (laughs) Just bob and weave. (laughs) So it was really after Nero got married to Octavia that she began to really take charge of making those strategic appointments and align herself with people in in the power. So this is when she took the Praetorian Guard, who historically had two prefects or bosses that kind of ran and organized everything, and she narrowed that down to one person. So now the entire for lack of a better way of putting it, secret service for the emperor, now has one boss whose name was Burris, who she already had in her pocket. Mm -hmm. So now Burris is loyal to Agrippina and her son Nero alone, not Claudius, who is the reigning emperor of the time. And along with this, Agrippina recruited one of the biggest philosophers of the day in Rome, who was a man named Seneca. And he was put in charge of being Nero's advisor. So they have military backing, and now they've got educational backing and strategic backing in Seneca. It's just very interesting, because Seneca was exiled at this point, and Agrippina actually brought him back for this. So now they've got two very important people helping them out, and now Claudius is pretty much the last piece of the puzzle stopping them from taking the throne. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind here too that Claudius did have a like heir to the throne in his own son, old Britannicus, but that did not work out for him. No. <laughs> so since Claudius was the last roadblock in Agrippina's way, she needed to figure out a way to get rid of him. So everyone kind of knew that Claudius liked to eat and was pretty gluttonous guy. So she thought, what a better way to deal with him than through food. <laughs> Apparently, mushrooms were his meal of choice a lot of the times, so he was a pretty easy man to plan an assassination for. Agrippina hired one of the most well-known poisoners in Rome, which is just an insane thing to even know that there's a well-known poisoner. Oh, uh, she was featured on a previous episode of history. Her name was, and say it out loud in your car, wherever you're listening to, three, two, one, Locusta. She was recruited by Agrippina to poison Claudius. Yep. (laughs) So Agrippina wanted some sort of slow-acting poison that wouldn't really take take effect until after the party that they were at had ended. That way Agrippina doesn't immediately look suspicious and Nero doesn't look suspicious in her stead. So she was like, here, mix me up this slow-acting poison, then we'll administer it at this garden food-tasting party or whatever. And then it'll go from there. So Claudius was dosed at this food tasting, and eventually he did end his evening feeling sick and vomiting, but he was not dying. So now Agrippina's like, well, we have a clearly poisoned man who has nowhere else to look but me for blame. So she's like, I got to figure out a different way to do this. So she got more poison that would act a lot faster. And... This is where her having his physician in her pocket came in very big. 
So the plan was for the physician to go to Claudius's room and say that he had a plan to heal him of his current ailment. And that plan consisted of taking a feather and dipping it in this poison, but telling Claudius that I need to tickle the back of your throat with this feather, which will cause you to vomit one more time, but then you'll feel better. So the doctor did this, and apparently uh, right after this happened, Claudius laid back dead, and that was the end of that. Got him with the old feather trick. <laughs> the oldest trick in the book. Tale as old as time. I can't think of so many times I've had someone come up and be like, I just need to, to stick this feather in your mouth and tickle your throat. Fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> Fool me twice, <laughs> feather in the back of your throat. So this is another great story, and it would perhaps make a great first act in a movie today, but there's debate on whether this is actually how this would have happened or not. So one article from uh, Scientific American 2001 did say that it was, in fact, mushrooms poisoned that killed Claudius. But like everything pretty much from this time period, there's a lot of doubt to the story. And perhaps it's not really true because a lot of modern day historians say that they can't really find evidence of poisons that would have been that fast acting back in that time, Mm -hmm. which puts doubt in the story. And more than likely, they say it was a combination of poor health, overindulgence of food and drink, and then possibly just regular old food poisoning that led to the death of Claudius. Right. So, he was 64. And he time. was not like a, in good shape throughout his life. Right. Wasn't the uh, cleanest bill of health no. in those days. Xenophon had his, had his uh, work cut out for him. He was not participating in the Olympics or anything like that. No, he didn't go into the arena and get into any games, that's for sure, but... It's just very interesting. The death of Claudius was pretty, pretty timely, or I guess we would say convenient at the time because he had survived just long enough to award formal honors and like give public recognition to Nero, who at the time was just older than our guy. We're going to say our guy Britannicus. Yeah. I just assume he <laughs> the never downtrodden did hero of this story. Who may have, I heard, I'm one of my sources may have had like epilepsy too. Yeah. Um, just so we're claiming ownership of him. He's our official guy. Um, and Nero just basically had a head start on Britannicus to make himself more popular and better known, uh, simply because he was older, but Claudius died before Britannicus could be set to do literally any of the things. Yeah. Uh, cause a lot of that did start at a certain age for, for these boys and Britannicus would not even live long enough to assume a man's toga. So he died, Britannicus died, shortly after attending a dinner party with the rest of the imperial family. Ah, a trend I see is developing. And I love the way my source words this. A, an event that no one thought was a coincidence. Yeah. So it was just, oh, uh, just a classic dinner party. It was said that, I mean, Britannicus probably wasn't as healthy as a lot of other people, too, coming right. from Claudius's line. I mm-hmm. mean, he wasn't the best, as we said, the, wasn't the, uh, the shining example of health. He was no Germanicus, if that's what you're saying. <laughs> so Britannicus really wasn't in a good position to begin with. But mm-hmm. yeah, Nero was, I mean, this young, handsome, very op- like publicly welcomed man mm-hmm. at this point. And he already had political marriage with Octavia for a couple of years at this point, because I believe that was probably around when he was 13 or 14 that they got married. So he's already had established ties to a way to the throne. Right. 
and Britannicus is just like, my dad's the emperor. My daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sick and frail. Can I be the emperor now, daddy? <laughs> Honestly, if he asked us, like, yes, yes, it's all I, your oh, son. Oh, absolutely. We'd ruffle his hair and put one of those crowns on him. Whether Claudius's death was a result of Agrippina's poisoning or not, the the way that the public perceived this and the rumors spread saying that it was because of her kind of showed how the people revered her as a woman who would do anything to get what she wanted and was very cunning in that aspect. Right. One writer, his name was Dio, uh, from The Time, uh, basically described Agrippina as this, and this is a quote, There's nothing she will not sacrifice to imperial ambition, neither decency nor honor nor chastity. So that's just kind of where, like, the public, like, how the public viewed her. She will do whatever. Right. And, I mean, no one could prove that she had done it, so it wasn't like they mm-hmm. could pin this on her, but they, the, just the fact that they pinned it on her in the public perspective was just a very clear indication that they knew, like, she's a ruthless woman. Right, Nero's probably just sitting there, like, I would have gotten it on my own. You didn't have to kill everyone. He was going <laughs> to die in, like, a year. Right, he's 64, <laughs> and he can't see out of one eye. <laughs> So at midday the following day after Claudius's death, the announcement was made that he was in fact dead, and now there was a new emperor whose name was Nero. And he had a whole new groove. He was ready to go. So Nero was almost immediately welcomed by the people. As we said, he was a young and handsome guy, and that just put him into a different category for the public of Rome to kind of deify. I mean, it's kind of hard to look up to this old frail man who is pretty much staying behind closed doors and say he's the guy that you want to be your ruler whereas you have now this young good-looking guy who is coming out and talking to the people everyone sees him on a regular basis it's going to put a very fresh taste in people's mouths for this this new guy in charge mm-hmm. so Nero pretty much immediately deposed the old secretive style of rule and reinstated the Senate back into place. So now everything was more in the public eye. All the decisions were made by a part, like a council, a party. And now that Agrippina had her son in power and Nero knew it was thanks to his mother that he had the throne pretty much got handed to him. He was very thankful to Agrippina and was not, there's no shortage of thank yous to his mother for that. But his mother quickly got fed up with that and wanted to actually take control of some of the aspects of ruling. Mm-hmm. And she kind of underestimated how tricky it was going to be to wrestle that power from Nero. Right. I imagine once she got him in power, she thought her job was done. It's yeah. Not so fast. He was not nearly as easily manipulatable as she thought he was going to be. And she even wanted the senators to come and meet in their palace instead of in the normal forum so that she could spy on them from behind a curtain. (laughs) Just like the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) (laughs) Literally like the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) And as a quote from Cassius Dio, who Evan had mentioned just a couple minutes ago, which is translated in the book Nero Caesar Augustus, Emperor of Rome by David Schotter, says, Agrippina managed for him, meaning Nero, all of the business of the empire. She received embassies and sent letters to various communities, governors, and kings. 
So it's not like she wasn't doing anything. She was still very integral in the political landscape of this new empire that mm-hmm. she was in partial control of. But it wasn't allowed for women to hold actual political office. But despite this fact, early minted coins, which were kind of how the public knew the inner workings of the government, were printed with not only Nero's face on them, which was a staple, the emperor's face was always on the minted coins, but now Agrippina's face was on the coins as well. And not only was she on the coins, but her and Nero looked as equals. They were facing each other on these coins, which was unprecedented at this point. It's just funny, the comparison to our coins. It's like, ooh, like this one has a buffalo on it. It's from <laughs> South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> as time went on, Agrippina's face was put behind Nero's likeness instead of on the same playing field. And this is kind of the biggest indication that we have nowadays that's hard evidence that their relationship did decline relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. Because we have a couple of coins from the different time periods, and it's relatively quickly that the images on the coins change from equals to Nero clearly showing that he's the one that's in charge and she's, she's still important but not nearly the one that's making the decisions. Right. There was actually one event that happened in one of the earlier years of Nero's reign where Agrippina attempted to join Nero on his dice, basically his throne, if you will, uh, to receive ambassadors from Armenia. Um, And Claudius, the guy in charge beforehand, made her wait on a separate throne, like away from the action. But Agrippina tried to actually join Nero, like her son, to welcome these ambassadors and Seneca and Burris, so Nero's basically his advisors, uh, nudged Nero and just instructed him to step down and greet his mother and then take her to like a separate lower seat uh, in like the council senate chambers, wherever you want to call it. So just like events like that started to take place where their relationship is just going lower i guess lower and lower like just starting to separate from each other he's very much trying to show her that he's not going to let her win at this correct yeah and that's very it's gonna cause him to butt heads just makes me think of the mean girls uh (laughs) this will probably i don't know if you've seen it but the mean girls where it's like you can't sit with us us. yeah (laughs) i love oh goodness love that so very soon things started to shift in the mother and son relationship landscape and there's just so many different instances of them getting into spats about not only little things but large events also get into get in the way and i mean agrippina was used to being for example the one that you just the story you just told she was used to being kind of level with the emperor and she Mm -hmm. was the first woman in roman history to really do that like there was right. an example of someone getting a a pardon from the emperor and not only did he go up and thank the emperor by going and like begging at his feet but also went to Agrippina and did the same thing so th- it already shows that she's very much taking on a new role as a woman mm-hmm. without taking on an actual title so Nero was like I'm not going to let that happen to me <laughs> The, one of the main reasons that historians cite for their major falling out is the fact that Nero was pursuing an affair with a woman named Octi. 
And Octi was Greek, but she was also an ex-slave. So she was not really the person that they wanted to be put in the royal chambers alongside this newly minted Roman emperor who is the pride of the people. So Agrippina's like, this cannot happen. This is going to tarnish our family reputation, meaning me. I don't care about you as much, but this is bad for me. But Octi was older than Nero and was said to have been very beautiful. So Nero was very much more interested in her than his wife Octavia and wanted to marry Octi. But Agrippina found this out, threw a fit, and then Nero tried to lie to cover him, cover his ass and say that Octi was actually a foreign princess. But nobody was buying it, and Nero had to abandon her and pretty much just give her up to save his position as emperor. Because as we said, political reputation is the most important thing that a person has at this point. I'm just picturing that conversation. Like, no, no, she's a princess from a foreign country. Oh, which country? <laughs> ah, you got me. You got me good. <laughs> it's the Aladdin con- or the Aladdin <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> so this was a big event that pushed Nero further from his mother and more towards his advisors, Burris and Seneca. So within a year of taking over the throne, Nero had already swayed a lot of power to his side and was doing well. And most sources, even though they take a turn to say he was not as good later in life, they do agree that his first five years of ruling were very good. He took moves to give power back to the Senate and ruled very fairly. He gave cash handouts to citizens, which brought a lot more public opinion to his side. And he even instituted a lottery, which brought, yep. brought more fun to the people. <laughs> so it said that he would throw numbered balls into a crowd, and the winning number would get lavish prizes ranging from horses to large sums of money to guest houses. So you could win quite a bit in this lottery. Not bad at all. And he did focus a lot on entertainment as well. And we'll see later, whereas most emperors wouldn't really commiserate with common people, He was regularly seen in the crowds, and he even performed in theaters himself. So this combined with the fact that he was young, he it kind of really helped his public image flourish, and he got a very good reputation very quickly. But one of the downsides was he was still young, and he did like to still go out with his friends and party and do all the things that teenagers or young twenty early twenty year olds do. So he would have to go out in disguise so that nobody would really recognize that he was the emperor. And while his advisors did give him a lot of leeway in his comings and goings, his mother was beginning to really harp on the way that he was living his relaxed and irresponsible lifestyle in her eyes. And this was all brought to another tipping point when Nero had another love affair. And this one would stick around for a while. This guy. (laughs) He's just out there slaying, I guess. Apparently. More ways than one. <laughs> it's so funny that there is so many people at this time that were getting other people killed for their aspirations. And then Nero's like, I just want to have a couple girlfriends. And they're like, no, no, no. You can kill people, but you can't do that. Yeah, you can poison. I mean, you can poison your dad for all we care. But you want to have a drink with your buddies? No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. This time, it was with an, arist- an aristocratic woman named Papaya Sabina. Nero was 22 at this time, and Papea very much began to pressure him to get rid of his first wife, Octavia, 
And the situation was pressured even more when Popea announced that she was pregnant with Nero's child. So Agrippina was the only one standing in their way, really, because Agrippina was saying that he could not get rid of Octavia, thus getting in the way of Popea uh, and his love. And even though Agrippina was not really around in the courts anymore, they lived in separate houses, they barely spoke to each other, she still had a hold on Nero because she was there. She mm. was still alive. And Popea used this to manipulate Nero by saying he was still a mama's boy and he couldn't do anything without the say of his mother. And this is when he decides, you know what? I can do something about that. Let's just kill mom. He was just at the bar with his friends and had a little bit too much. And this is where the, de- the idea came from. That's where it all happened. But that's literally the story, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> he was at a play, and that's how he got the, the inspiration for the tactic in which he used to try and kill his mother. The old matricide. Classic. <laughs> so there was rumors spreading around this time as well that Agrippina was plotting to have him killed so that she could hand the throne over to her lover. And this really solidified for Nero that he needed to take action before she took action against him. Whether those rumors were true or not, it's the rumor mill is the one thing that everyone kind of listens to at this time period. Right. There was even a rumor that Agrippina had even tried to seduce Nero uh, to win back his loyalty, basically cornering him after he had, you know, he was coming back from either a play or just a lot, a night of drinking. In scandalous clothes, whatever that means in Roman terms. <laughs> Probably, uh, like, all of the art says that they just didn't wear clothes. That's so true. <laughs> who knows how scandalous clothes would go. Oh, mother. They God. were wearing a lot of clothes. Right. And he's like, oh, my gosh, mother. <laughs> She's topless, and he's just like, oh, mother, out for a stroll. <laughs> and now he's British. Um, but, yeah, the rumor mill was just wild yeah, at this point. There was a lot of rumors of incest between Nero and his mother, and most people say that even if there is some truth to it, it's probably that they did kind of have eyes for each other, but neither of them really acted upon it, and it was kind of just something that was there. The which sex, is still... The sexual tension was nuts. <laughs> which is still just <laughs> weird. You can cut the sexual tension with a knife. <laughs> but and then, like, just a gun with the, with the rumor mill, it got so heated that Agrippina began taking preemptive doses of antidotes yep. for different poisons. Uh, just to get prepared for, you know, what would happen. She knew her reputation definitely preceded her, so she knew that there was plenty of people who could have motive for killing her. Right. So, yeah, as Evan just mentioned, Nero did. There was rumors that he did try and poison his mother, but that immunity by drinking different antidotes and different poisons apparently gave her just a boost against poison. Are you telling me on these here airwaves that's preemptively getting something that's bad for you? Perhaps a vaccine could actually help you against the real thing. Hey, I'm not saying that, but I'm kind of <laughs> saying that. <laughs> so another thing said that he tried to have the ceiling of her bedroom at her via collapse on her as she slept, but that didn't work either. So this is where he goes to the play with his buddies and sees a pr- stage prop, which was a collapsible ship that split in half and then a bunch of animals came out of it. And he's like... I could just make one of those and have her die on it. What a light bulb idea. (laughs) So he had a similar boat set up, and after a party in which Nero very much played the part of a loving and doting son, 
to Agrippina, she boarded the boat with no inclination that Nero would have any idea of killing her, despite people at the party very clearly telling her, we think Nero is trying to kill you. But she's like, no, he actually kissed me on the cheek, which he hasn't done in years, so he can't be plotting anything. These parties must have been wild. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I had, like, I think at a party, I just watched Disney Seen It, or, like, played Disney Seen It. These people are having parties. Right. I played Settlers of Catan a couple of weeks ago, and I thought that was rowdy. I just <laughs> imagine, like, the Great Gatsby scene parties where he's just having right. those huge parties, except, like, make it during ancient Rome. Right. <laughs> so... Agrippina boarded the boat, and as they were sailing across the river, the boat's roof fell in, crushing one of the women on board, but Agrippina survived. The ceiling didn't sink the boat as it was intended, and in the confusion, Agrippina slipped into the water. One of her slaves still on board started to shout that she was Agrippina, saying, like, I'm Agrippina, come save me, in the hopes that someone would be like, oh no, the empress is in, or the mother of the emperor is in trouble, we need to go save her. But the crew members were like, it's her, get her, and then just clubbed her to death <laughs> on board the ship. Agrippina swam for a while and then was eventually picked up by a passing boat and taken back to her home. And despite the obvious signs that this was a plot to kill her specifically, she didn't really take the, uh, the hints. So once Nero got news that his mother had survived this attempt, he panicked and he tried to get the Praetorian Guard to go and kill her. But Burris said that all of the men in the Praetorian Guard, including himself, would not kill a member of the royal family, especially since he was so much in Agrippina's pocket at most times during this time period. So it was believed that some assassins, some sources say perhaps Nero's naval commander, were sent to Agrippina's house to finish the job. So when they arrived, there was already a crowd of people because they had heard that there was a big accident that in their eyes, an accident that Agrippina had survived just to kind of see if she was okay. But these assassins approached through the crowd, got inside, and at first, Agrippina said, I'm okay, I don't need help, just send news back to my son that I did survive. And as they kept approaching, she was still in disbelief, saying, there's no way you guys are here to kill me, my son would never do something like that. And at that point, they took a club and hit her across the head. And... Now that she did realize that, in fact, this was an attempt on her life from her son, she pointed to her womb, the womb that bore her son Nero, and told them to strike there, which they did, and they killed Agrippina. So that's the end of her life and the start of a new life for Nero, which very much is not going to be the model emperor life that he has been living for the past five, six years. Yeah, just remember, first couple of years, he was pretty solid. For the people, at least. I mean, still doing some shady things, but all in all, a fine emperor. And you got to think, too, he's still very young. Like, he's like 22, 23 at right. this point. So it's impressive that he did so well for being so young. But I think a lot of that does have to do with Burris and Seneca being at his side, mm -hmm. kind of guiding his hand. Speaking of Burris and Seneca, they quickly devised a cover story saying that Agrippina died of other circumstances, whatever those may be, and Nero quickly devolved into a more tyrannical person after his mother's death. Poppea was still pushing her to get rid of his old wife Octavia, and without his mother in the way, now he was able to do whatever he wanted. 
And Seneca and Burris quickly began to realize that they did not have any control on the young Nero anymore. So Seneca retired, and Burris, at this point, had died, and he was replaced by a new and ruthless man named Tigellinus, I believe is how you pronounce it. So Tigellinus and Poppaea would combine to start the, the downfall of the Emperor Nero. They told him to come up with a cover story that Octavia had slept with an Egyptian musician, and when Tigellinus began to torture Octavia's maids to get them to give up information and pretty much pin this story on Octavia and discredit her, none of them would give her up. These maids were very strong-willed people. Very ride or die. One of them was even said to have spit in Tigellinus's face as she was being tortured, and just before she died said, my mistress's vagina is cleaner than your mouth, which that's a big diss. <laughs> I love like the final words of like, I remember our witches episode. I forget her name. She had like the best, like before I die line. Yeah. Love a good before I die of preposterous the, causes line. Like the one guy who got, he got literal stones stacked on top of him and got crushed by them. He's just like more weight. <laughs> right, 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 right. So this plan ultimately backfired. Because the public really did like Octavia, and even though she was not the empress anymore, Papea was, in the public's eyes, the empress. Nero and Octavia were not together anymore. Her maids and the public's loyalty to Octavia began to show when the citizens toppled the new Papea statues, replaced them with statues of Octavia, and covered them with flowers. And it was at this point that Nero took one of his mother's assassins, who was said to be the naval officer that he set in charge, and told him that he had two options. Either he would go in front of the Senate and tell them that he had slept with Octavia and thus discredit her reputation, or he could be executed. So facing a very easy decision, he went to the Senate, convinced them of the story of him sleeping with Octavia, and he was exiled to Sardinia with large sums of money. Octavia, for her part, was taken to an island prison where she was shortly after killed in private, and her severed head was said to have been sent back to Papea as a trophy. Yeah, this is where Nero just starts doing things very out of pocket. Yes. Like, very insane. Um... I mean, honestly, it kind of worked out for the naval commander. He just got Dude, to go yeah. chill in Sardinia. He oh, was, no, an island in the Mediterranean. I don't have to serve anymore, and I get a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to kick back and just play in the sand. Kick the shoes off, sitting on the beach. Kick the sandals off. Maybe. I don't know. Just chill. Go to the casino. See a mermaid. Yeah. Play. <laughs> and he lost all of his money in the lottery. Wow. <laughs> So Nero began to give the citizens more gifts and money to r make sure that the public opinion didn't sway too far from his side and began to actually live a pretty relaxing life of art, entertainment, and family time with his new wife, Papea. Papea did give birth to a daughter in January of 63 AD, but that daughter would die only three months later, and Nero took it pretty hard. And... After this, is he, he really turns even harder at this point. I, th I think that's probably part of the reason. It's just now the stress is starting to build on him, and he's starting to realize, like, maybe I have started to make some decisions that weren't the best. But Papea herself has contentious reports about how she died, 
some of them claiming that Nero and her got into an argument and, and ended with her kicking his pregnant wife in the belly, and that killed her. But as with everything, this may or may not be true. And I even saw one report that was like, oh, it's probably not what happened. And even if it is what happened, it's probably just manslaughter. He didn't mean to kill her when he was kicking her. I'm like, how does that make it any better? <laughs> That's just the ultimate. That Was that like Nero's publicist? Is he, <laughs> is he a time traveler must, well? Someone at the New Yorker is a real Nero fan. <laughs> someone, oh my gosh, at the New they just use looking at his cube or you look at their cube and it's like I heart Nero flags <laughs> everywhere. So she died in uh, 64 AD and this left Nero now without a wife, without a mother, without his advisors and in charge of an entire Roman Empire. Mm. Without an heir either. Yeah. He doesn't have any kids. Octavia never bore him any children. And the, the one child they did have with Papea quickly died so yep, he decided to punt it yeah and yeah the one that was unborn he decided to punt so not a great streak and one of the biggest and most enduring things that people probably know about the emperor nero is the story that he burned down rome and sang and played the lute as the city was in flames so for obvious reasons there's things that point to this not being how it happened because the lute or violin was not invented at this time, so strike one clear indication that that probably wasn't true. But the real story is more likely that on July 18th, 64 AD, a fire started near Circus Maximus, which was the large chariot stadium in Rome. And what is believed to have happened is a mere accident. Something was kicked over that was on a flammable object and started the fire. And with the the winds being stronger at the time, and Everyone at Circus Maximus being seated on wooden, like seating, and there is large wooden slums situated behind that wooden seating, made for a large tinderbox for this fire to quickly consume. So the fire spread very rapidly, and the countermeasures that were set up for fires were nowhere near prepared enough for a blaze of this size which burned for six days straight before getting controlled and then even starting again and burning for another three days. So nine days in total of just a massive city-wide fire in Rome. Around two-thirds of Rome was ended, up, ended up being burned, and it was the largest fire in recorded history until the fire bombings in Dresden during World War II. So that's a very... With modern technology. Very large accomplishment this was. <laughs> History quickly blamed Nero for the fire after his death, and that is one of the most well-known stories about him, that he fiddled as Rome burned. But it is said by Tacitus, which is one of the biggest surviving accounts that we have about Nero, that Nero was at his seaside villa in Antium at the time and was likely not responsible because of that, unless he sent someone else to set the fire in his stead. But what he does after the fire very much counteracts that argument. Because when he heard the news of the event, he immediately returned to Rome, helped to organize relief efforts, and people said he could be seen in the streets without his bodyguards because he told them to go aid the homeless people and fight the fires. And after the fire was out, Nero acted quickly again by allowing homeless people to camp in the Forum, also in his home, while their houses were rebuilt, and slashed food prices so that people could still afford to buy things. And he even made plans to rebuild the city in a way that was safer in order to prevent another event like this from happening. So, Stone. <laughs> so there's 
very much a lot of evidence to point to the fact that he probably was not the one responsible for this fire. But there is also evidence that points to maybe he saw this as very beneficial for him. Yeah, he definitely used it for political gain, even regardless. If, yeah, even if he wasn't the one for the fire actually starting. After the fire, Nero imposed what he called a fire tax on the citizens of Rome to try and help recover money lost in those relief efforts. And for a mass of people who had just lost their homes, paying a ton of money to the government was a very unwelcome next step in their lives. So this is where rumors began to spread uh, that Nero was using money for irresponsible spending, which may or may not be true. But before he let these rumors gain any traction, he threw the blame to one of the long-standing scapegoats in Roman history, a small religious sect known as the Christians. Never heard of them. So the Christians were a small and very largely unpopular sect of religion in Rome because they refused to pay allegiance to the emperor and instead worshipped their own god, which was seen pretty much as treason in Roman, in like, Roman people's eyes. So Nero took this already targeted group and decided to place the blame for the fire on them. And at this point, Christians were fed to wild beasts in the Colosseum. They were crucified. And it was even said that Nero used them as human torches to light his garden parties. One man in particular, a man named St. Peter, who was in Rome preaching the gospel. He was one of the biggest apostles at this point was martyred during the persecution and now has a basilica in Rome where his execution took place. This was very much just a temporary fix, and the people were fine with the Christians being the ones to blame because they had been blaming them for everything for a while, especially since the Christians at this time had been telling everyone that the world was going to end in fire. So seeing a large fire consume almost 80% of their city was like, I could see that they would do something like that. Yeah, they were a little heavy on the revelation preaching at the time. Yeah. The Romans kind of put, I guess, two and two together in their minds. And oh, got to be these people. But remember what I mentioned about Nero possibly using those public taxes irresponsibly? Rome was being rebuilt. Nero sectioned off a large percent of the city, about 20%, for what would come to be known as the Golden Palace or Golden House. It was a huge estate with palaces and villas and even a lake, and all of the halls were decorated with super fancy art, extravagant decor, and his, this was all because of his strive for popularity, and he, he had good intentions, you know, trying to set up this huge, luxurious area of the city after a large catastrophe, but it very much put a, a bad taste in people's mouths as a Roman public who just lost most of their homes, seeing him use all of this money to put up a new gigantic home for himself. Yeah, 20% of Rome. That's a huge amount of land. Yeah. And this is where he really begins to lose favor with the Roman people. And the common people were really not the only ones that disliked him. The aristocracy had already had issues with him since he had been kind of disregarding them and doing whatever he wanted. And now he was putting more taxes on the rich people in the city, which, as we've learned from history, just the past five to ten years, rich people don't like paying more money. Wild. (laughs) So 
there was more reasons than just money that they didn't like him. All of the people in charge had very much come from a ruling class that saw war as a good thing. It was a way to expand the empire and a way to get them more money because then they could tax the people that they took over. But Nero very much did not like war and was more interested in the arts and entertainment. And as I mentioned earlier, he even performed himself. And part of this was he traveled to Greece to get into professional professional shape to become a musician and artist, focusing on playing the lyre and singing. And while his popularity with the citizens in Rome waned, he went on a public tour uh, throughout Greece and other surrounding areas. And he even decided to embark with a couple thousand troops to ensure that all of his performances would have good receptions at festivals, eventually winning over 1,800 first prize medals. (laughs) Because the judges had to look at who was the emperor of the kingdom that they were a part of, or the empire that they were a part of, and try to not give him a first place medal. While he brought 1,000 troops. Yeah. So Can you imagine just... I just hope that one person had the cojones on him to just boo. Boo, and then he just immediately gets stabbed. Immediately. So even though he was taking a lot of these prizes through just being the emperor and not actual merit, Greece still loved Nero. And while Greece was very much gaining public traction for Nero, Rome was as quickly deteriorating their trust in him. And... All of the people were now seeing he was not acting as a Roman emperor should in their eyes. And at the age of 30, his empire was pretty much disintegrating. There was a loss of money and funding in the public domain in Rome. And people weren't able to live the same lifestyles that they had before. And now seeing that their emperor is not coming to help them, but instead going on a what is a musical tour throughout the, <laughs> throughout the country was not a very good look for him. What a hilarious thing to put in today's terms. Just imagine if Biden just dropped everything. It's like, no, I got to go. I got to go with Ario Speedway <laughs> and Sting I'm and going, just perform around the country. I'm going to perform spoken word albums <laughs> around the United States. I am now a Def Jam comic. <laughs> Please see me at the following clubs. So towards the end of his life, Nero was forced to take drastic measures to support the empire financially. It was said that he took statues and offerings from different temples and even reduced the size of the minted coins. And the men in the Praetorian Guard were pretty quickly turning against him. Some of this was through bribery because the elite were against Nero. And some of it was just that they quickly saw that he was not the guy that they needed in charge at this point. So, he was declared an enemy of the people by the Senate on June 8th of 68 AD, and reality finally hit him that he had nobody left when he woke up one night and his palace was empty. He ran out of the palace, and as he ran, he found three slaves, and they gave him a horse, and all three of them accompanied him to a villa outside of Rome. And upon finding out that he had to choose between basically being stripped and dragged through Rome before being stoned or just killing himself, Nero committed suicide. And supposedly his last words were, what an artist dies in me. And that is the end of Nero's life. What a wild life. Yeah. A very short, but very action-packed life he lived. I mean, for real. (laughs) Only 30 years old when he died. 30 years old, ruled the biggest empire in 
close to human history for like eight eight ish years. Yeah. Ten-ish years. No, he was he was in charge for over a fourteen de- years. 14. Yeah. Oh yeah, I took over so in sixteen. He, he, he had a he had a decent reign. Right. Did some did a lot of good in the first half and the second half, that's where they got him. That's yeah. where they really got him. His uh kind of went off the rails. The women in his life were the most important factors in everything that he did as a person. <laughs> his mother at the beginning and then Popea very much at the end. No love for Octavia, the one person he... Uh... Yeah, and from all accounts, she was very widely adored by the people of Rome. So I don't right? understand why he would take someone like that. I mean, I don't know if it was just the fact that he was not getting an heir from her and maybe that disgruntled him or something, but... Probably mostly that his mom chose her. For yeah, that too. It's probably one of those things like... I don't want this woman. I didn't choose her. Yeah. Obviously, Nero was not the best guy in the world, but there's also now a lot of reason to believe that perhaps he was not as bad as people now pretty much preach that he is, and the the overarching storyline tells us he is. Right. Like, the previous storyline was that this man was the literal antichrist. Yeah. Uh, did not do great things, but... Don't know if he's quite to that level. Yeah. So while his reputation as a bad person likely has merit, hence why it's pervaded as long as it has, it's probably not as cut and dry as it's usually taught, such as we were taught in school that he is just the guy who burned down Rome and was a crazy, tyrannical emperor. Uh, Since sources are so scant and limited, we mostly have stuff written after Nero's death. So... Most of the events are recorded from hearsay and rumor and not actual live people seeing what was going on at the time. And in addition, the writers that we use for the primary sources on Nero are normally of a more well-to-do section of the Roman population and were also politically active. So since Nero had made decisions that took money out of the pockets of the wealthier percentage of the population, he was unpopular amongst this class of people. So it was even said that like this was a good way for since Nero was the last of the Julio-Claudian emperors starting with Augustus it was now the chance for these elites and arist- aristocrats to tarnish the Julio-Claudian line's name by using Nero as the scapegoat and thus a smear campaign began so propaganda machine got to move in and did a very good job tarnishing his reputation Right, for the last 2,000 years, we've been saying, what a bum. Yeah. But there is some sources that do back up the fact that he may have been well-liked even after his death. And there is even multiple examples of people who said that they pretended to be Nero after his death, mostly in eastern parts of the empire, because the eastern part of the empire that Nero controlled was very much a thorn in Rome's side for a long time, and he was the emperor that eventually bartered peace with those countries. So they looked at him as very a very good ruler because now they weren't constantly at conflict in conflict with each other, and they had a peaceful negotiation to a long-standing conflict through this young, charismatic guy. Mm. So all of these people in the east still liked him, and some even said that after the fact that he died that they wished he was still alive so this gives us an idea that perhaps these upper classes didn't like nero but the populace overall may have still favored him highly and it paints him as the subject of the smear campaign like we mentioned earlier but the fact that the popularity of these fake neros and 
the public saying they still wish Nero was alive came from the eastern part of the empire primarily. It doesn't tell us that the central Roman populace still liked him, which is the most important factor in whether he was actually well-liked in it and at all. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, all of this is evidence from speculation and rumors, and as with everything in Nero's life, a lot of it is just hearsay. So the true story of Nero is most likely lost to time, and whether he was as bad as his reputation is pretty much up to the individual to decide. I mean, there's so many sources now saying that he wasn't as bad, but those are just as contentious as any of the sources that we have from back then. So, Right, and you have to wonder how much documentation or just proof of either way was actually lost in the big Roman fire. That and, I mean, there's probably mm. a lot of records in the Alexandria Library that were right. probably lost during that big fire when that all burned. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of records that were lost from people who wrote during his time period that we just don't have anymore. And probably a lot of records of just what had happened in history before then. Yeah, we lost an entire section of human history when yeah. Alexandria burned because that was the record store for a lot of what had happened up to that point. And that's when the backup flash drive was invented. <laughs> that's when the first person had the idea of loading things to the cloud. So, yeah, we, we'll never really know unless we find new sources of information that we didn't have before about Nero. But he may not have been as bad as he was portrayed, and he may have just been a young guy who was taken advantage of at the end of his life when he was in a vulnerable position. So, who knows? But he's still not the greatest guy. He burned a bunch of people for garden party lights. So, so wild. Yeah, not great. Yeah, definitely a maniac for that one, Bob. But yeah, that is the life and story of Nero, the Roman emperor that ended the Julio-Claudian line. What a crazy cat of history. Really is. Won't give him a gem, did some weird things, but just a crazy, crazy 30 years. Yeah, and I do give him a lot of respect for being as young as he was, being relatively thrown into a position of great power in Mm -hmm. one of the largest empires in the world and doing as well of a job as he did right at the beginning. But yeah, fell off the tracks pretty quickly. Ooh. (laughs) Man, but but very... very, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just love doing like ancient stuff because it's just like, I don't know, maybe he was a good guy, but probably not. (laughs) Right, a lot of those stories just end... You know what? You decide. What do you think? Yeah. Maybe we'll do a poll on Twitter. It is also crazy that we're just finding new stuff about these people still today. Right. So I also saw one source that said that he got help from aliens because he had like a rotating floor in the rotunda of his new golden house. Mm -hmm. And they're like, he used alien technology to create this rotating platform that followed the sun. And it's like, First of all, that's sick, but yeah, second right. of all, I feel like they probably could have just figured that out. <laughs> I know. Um, magnets, maybe? Maybe just, like, good engineering. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's just very true. A very slow-weighted ball that yeah. just goes around the, around the circle. But as a whole, we don't really cover a lot of these, like, ancient ones as much as no. more of the uh, more modern stuff. So. Not too much. Yeah. Was... But maybe we'll get back into it. Yeah, I felt like diving back into the, uh, the old ancient world. Love it. Dive into our scrolls. We can talk about other people doing bad stuff and not us killing a bunch of Native Americans or something like that. We can get off of the U.S. history's greatest <laughs> yeah. We can go make fun of Romans. Do some stuff. international stuff. Right? We're, we're spreading the blame for human humans being poopy internationally. And if you want to help us spread that blame, you can follow us on our social medias. 
on Twitter, first and foremost, at gems underscore history. Uh, you can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco and then myself at whatevskis. You can also find us on Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. And then, last but not least, you can find us on TikTok at gems of history pod. Yeah, and if you guys see us posting on there, feel free to interact. We love hearing from you guys. Share share our posts around. Tell your friends. Get the name out there. Help us out. Spread the word. Spread the good word. And then rate and review, as always, on Apple and on Spotify. Helps us out. Gets our, gets our numbers bumped. Mm-hmm. But I think that's all we really got for you guys this week. We'll be back with another Evan special next week. Ooh, that's a number two. Oh, boy, let's go. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Be worth it. Yeah, I don't know. That wasn't even like a try. Like a, a we'll be back with humor. A, we'll be back with a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Adios, everybody.